Don't sweat the small stuff. That's the advice from Luke Maiden, the guest on this next episode of the Sparks Babylon podcast. Luke's a designer and runs Aperture Design Studio in Abu Dhabi. And on this podcast, we talked about lots of different things about how he's built Aperture Design in Abu Dhabi over the last years. One of the key things he talks about is design at the core. I love to talk to you about what is the core of your business. For Luke, it's clear, it's design. He helps people craft their vision and turn it into reality. So as you go about listening to this podcast now, I wonder what you can take away about how you can craft your vision and then go about turning it into reality as well as you go forwards. Enjoy the show. If you've got any comments, come back to me with those. Let me know how you might turn your designs into reality in the future. So welcome to the Ignium podcast. This is Sparks by Ignium. I'm Phil Rose, your host. This is another episode where I'm talking to a business owner about their purpose and about their business. And today I'm delighted to welcome Luke Maiden of Aperture Design Studios. Luke's based in Abu Dhabi and he described himself as a designer. We can ask a bit more about what that means in a minute. But I met Luke through a Porsche leadership management program where Luke kindly offered to open the, open the cupboard of his business to show us what makes Aperture Design special. And when I heard that and talked to him about it, I realized there was something in there that made his business stand out. And I'd like to delve into that today. So I've got lots of questions in this podcast now. So Luke, welcome to the Sparks by Ignium podcast. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. So you describe yourself as a designer. We have the word designer banded around a lot. What does designer mean for you? What is it? Yeah, good, good question. Um, I guess uh, a designer is someone who uh, has the opportunity to be creative. And I think um, from my side, the, the best part of design is about creating places for people. Uh, and, and I guess impacting the way that people go about their, their day-to-day life or experience their day-to-day life. So yeah. I think for me personally, that's what design is. It's about creating, I guess, um, elements that people can interact with and varying how people kind of live their life, I guess. And I think yeah. maybe the reason I like to be called a designer, I've, I've struggled a bit with, with business owner or, or CEO or I don't think I'm an entrepreneur. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm just a guy who likes to draw pictures nice. um, and and that's led me into to running running my own business for better or worse yeah i like that and, and it's interesting actually you say you're there's two things you said in there which make me my ears prick up and i'm just thinking about the listeners to this you said you're you know you create places for people and then you said you're just a guy who does likes to draw pictures aperture design studio for the for the listeners to this podcast what does aperture design do for those who don't know the business um we're a landscape, uh, public realm, and architectural design firm. Um, we started out very much doing doing landscape architecture. That's actually kind of directly what my background is in. Um, but we've since kind of evolved in, into into broader scale projects, into master planning style projects, and and then evolved into things like architectural design, uh, lighting design, and signage design. And that's mm-hmm. sort of largely been off the back of of project requirements or opportunities that have presented them themselves but in yeah. essence we're, we're a professional uh, architectural design consultancy firm okay i like that and, and, I, and you use that when about public realm because i know when i looked on your website and you showed me pictures before you, you you create beautiful places for people and you said the word just now you create places but i think some of the some of the pictures i've seen bring those those dreams to life and there's a phrase on your website which i love and it says it says we focus our clients ideas to bring project vision to reality and i love that as a phrase what what does that mean um i guess that phrase that that you've you've picked out there was really actually inspiration behind the name aperture Um, you know an aperture is a component of a camera Uh, that component is what kind of focuses imagery or um, pictures in, into a focused reality, right? So that's really where I guess our logo and our branding started from. Mm. Um, and I think very early on we had this kind of concept of this funnel and taking all of our clients' ideas and then helping them to kind of rationalize those ideas and, and helping them realize that vision. Mm. So I think in a lot of ways that's that's what our role is. We we take people's broad ideas um, and, and we make them a reality. Yeah, yeah, and and I love that. And it, it, to me, there's a there's another another sense to that in terms of taking people's ideas and making them reality. Because I think if I think about the work that we do at Ignium uh, with our clients, it's around helping people craft their vision of their ideas 
um, from a business context. We help people look at where they want to go and, and envision the future 10 to 30 years out yeah. and create something in the picture. I think there's a bit of that in terms of what you're doing, but you're, you're creating, a, you know, at the end of the day, a hard landscape based on someone's vision that people can actually then go and experience. So there's yeah. something in there which I think is magical. Yeah, there is. And I guess there's a little bit of, uh, I don't know if it's following pop culture or trends or, um, you know, one of the things that we're, we're always pushed for is, you know, what's next? What's the next big thing? What's the next big idea? And so I guess we have this constant battle with, with learning from the past and, and learning from previous experience. But, you know, also on every project, kind of trying to reinvent ourselves or yeah. at least reinvent the product that we're, we're delivering to our clients. So it is yeah. something new and so it is something fresh. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Well, one thing you made me think of just there, actually, um, and it's probably quite controversial to UK listeners, um, Liverpool as a city has just lost its world heritage status. Mm. And the reason it's lost it is it's not just lost it, it's lost it over a period of time because designers wanted to transform the, the waterfront area into something modern and contemporary and, re yeah. and removing some of the traditional aspects of what was there beforehand. Yeah. And those people who are looking at the World Heritage status said that if you do that, you're going to lose your status because you're taking away the traditional piece. Mm. How does that work for you as a designer in terms of, you know, you've got tradition that sits there and you want to bring in something that's modern to create a new image of something? Because there's a bit of a tension, I would have thought, there sometimes, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, there most certainly is. And I mean, globally, the way that that is, is, is generally dealt with, and I, I believe in the UK as well, is you need a really clear break. So if you're doing something very contemporary associated with, with something that's maybe more heritage, that's mm -hmm. okay. But you need to not try to replicate it or do something weird with it. You need a very clear break. This is the contemporary bit. We're protecting this. This is the new bit. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I guess in the UAE, like, uh, you know, in, in, in the Middle East in general, but, you know, certainly in the UAE, it's such a young country, you know, 50 years old, really. Uh, mm -hmm. And development here has really only kind of taken off in the last 20, 25 years. So, um, you know, there's this kind of ongoing battle here with a similar thing about, you know, what is heritage and, and what's not. And I think, you know, in Europe, that might be a thousands of year old castle, you know, that should be protected. And, and here it might be this weird little building that was built 40 years ago down by the port that, you know, everyone remembers was the first shop in Abu Dhabi or something. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, it, it's interesting that we're getting to see that process here and we're, we're also getting to experience kind of the first wave of gentrification. Um, okay. I guess, you know, it's just, it's really just starting to come around now. So that, that's been something interesting for us as designers because um, a lot of what we're doing here prior to that has been without context. You know, it's a, it's a blank plot in the middle of the desert. It can be whatever you yeah, want. Yeah. Um, but, but now we're getting into this process, which, which I think is, is really, really interesting. That's interesting. And actually, for listeners' sake, actually, one thing we didn't talk about is Luke is actually based in Abu Dhabi. So, um, so Luke and I have never actually met personally. It's all been through through the wonderful world of Zoom and Teams over the last year. Um, but obviously, Luke, you're not from Abu Dhabi originally. And I'd love no. at some say to delve into that story because you, you've arrived in the Middle East through, through a journey from, 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 from Australia to come here, actually. Can you tell me a bit about that, that journey to get you here? Because I'd then love to delve into that bit about you said without context. So let, let's go back and look at the journey that's brought you to where you are today. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so originally from, from Australia, from Melbourne in the south. So I know a little bit about the, the cold weather that you were just talking <laughs> about, Phil. So I, I feel your pain. Um, yeah, so studied there, uh, finished university work for a couple of years. And then um, it was really around the time that, especially Dubai was really booming, I think around mm -hmm. 2006. Um, and so there was just so many opportunities being presented out here. And I guess as a young designer, um, it was it was really quite exciting. And so, um, you know, I hopped on a plane and came out here without a job and with, with just a backpack and um, no kids, no wife, none of that stuff. Um, and yeah, and I guess I've been here, been here ever since. So well. um, sort of started as a two year plan, turned into a five year plan and then you know, here, here we are kind of pretty well in, entrenched in the, in, in the country now. It is yeah. certainly our home. Um, you know, both my kids were born here. This is, this is all I know. So. And, and it's interesting about this year home because I know that's one of the things that you've, you've majored on over the last conversations we've had in terms of what Aperture does 
is work on an area you are, you know, you're based in the UAE. That's where you live and work. And that's actually, so you can bring, you said about without context, you can bring some context because you've got 14 years of experience of living and breathing that experience. Yeah, yeah. And I I don't think you can uh, underestimate the importance of that. And I I think especially in a place like this where, you know, a lot of the population is so transient. um, To be able to kind of demonstrate to your clients that you've been here a long time, you know how the place works, you have some kind of vested interest. Um, You know, I think that's been... A, you know, a big part of our ongoing success, touch wood, yeah. as always. Um, but yeah, it's, I think, you know, certainly the way in which our business works, it's, it's not something that we could just kind of pick up and parachute in, you know, I couldn't come live in the UK tomorrow and expect to have, you know, any kind of success because we don't have the network, we don't have the background, we don't know how things work. So yeah. um, as soon as we started the business, a big focus for me was talking about that we are all about this place. This yeah. is our home. We have a vested interest. Um, you know, we understand what it's about, basically. Yeah. And, and, and I think about understanding what it's about. I think there's, there's a lot of people who, you know, they aspire to create their business and they, they, they set up on day one. What, what was it like when you created Aperture Design on day one? Because, you know, you had no experience of the Middle East, per se, from your years before. So, so what was it that, that struck you about that you could build a business here? Because some people wouldn't do that, that, that stepping out into a different area, a different culture to build something. Yeah, I mean, I guess um, just to give that a bit of context, like I, I did have um, quite a bit of experience here working for someone else okay. um, it, previously. And I sort of got to the, to the, to the top of where I could get to within, within that larger firm and, and um, couldn't see any kind of further growth. Yeah, um, yeah, and there was also some kind of restrictions in terms of design and the kind of projects which which I didn't like. Um, so that that was probably the, the the bit of the catalyst. And then, um, really, I think it was just um, I guess the way in which that I felt people were responding to um, the way that we were designing things. I think we have our own character, yeah. maybe not for everyone. Okay. We have a style and we have a way that we like to put things forward and we have a way that we like to design. And the response that I was getting back from that was, was really positive. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I don't I can't I'm not sure if I'm answering your question really well, but I think for me it was it was a restriction in terms of I felt like I'd topped out. Yeah, um, it wasn't necessarily about money. I didn't I didn't want to step away from design more. I didn't want to. I didn't want to go into management. I feel like, you know, at some point you get to a point in your career where you end up just being a manager of managers and managers or, or, or something. Yeah. And that, that wasn't what I wanted to do. That's not what I was passionate about. So yeah. um, I had a couple of really talented people who, who I knew and who were in my kind of close uh, circles and, and confidants and great, amazing designers. Um, and they were up for it. Um, so I think that's what sort of gave me the confidence um, yeah. in the end, just to kind of step out and, and, and have a crack. Yeah, I love that. And I love that thing about, you know, we're, we're going to come on to this in terms of management structure, because I know you've got a very special way that you run, you know, run Aperture Design Studio as well, which I'd love to talk about in a minute. But this thing about stepping out and, and creating something there. Um, what is it that differentiates you? Because, you know, if I look in the UK, there's lots of companies that, you know, call themselves designers, call themselves landscape designers. And in fact, back in 2006, I worked with a company in Cambridge who were building a landscape architecture and urban design practice. And we were putting together the initial business plan back 14 years ago for them. Mm. Um, we looked at what differentiate them and how they would do what they did. What is it that differentiates Aperture Design in the region that makes people want to come and work with you? Good question. <laughs> um, I, I might start. I think I mentioned this when we when we spoke um, previously, but um, I must start with this thing that I, I thought a lot about when we started, and it was yeah. um, it was big when you're small and small when you're big. Um, yeah. And just just to kind of explain that a little bit more, I guess Phil, it's when we first started, I thought we had to be really big, and I had to kind of pretend we had more people and. Um, you know, we had more experience and we had all these certificates and all this and all this rubbish. Um, yeah. And then as, as we evolved, I guess, I, I, we, we sort of came to the point that it was like, actually, no, we want to be the opposite. We want to be smaller and we want to yeah. celebrate that we are a boutique type firm. Yeah, yeah. 
So I guess a bit of context around that. The, the, the niche I think that we originally found was that clients were kind of a bit fed up dealing with bigger uh, corporate entities. Uh, and part of this was my frustration. I was working for a firm managing their landscape urban design department, but I was part of this bigger machine. Mm-hmm. So there were elements of this bigger machine that were restricting what I could do, restricting okay. how much time I could spend on a project because of budget, restricting how I could design something because if I did something that was crazy, then the structural engineer had to spend more time engineering it. So there was all these restrictions. And so what a lot of clients end up getting here is this kind of watered down, sanitized version of something that could be cool because of yeah. these internal politics. Um, so, so what we do, I guess we've, we've always tried to be kind of approachable yeah, uh, and always fight for our component of the design. And that's a lot of what, you know, I, I, when we go talk to clients, that's what we talk about. So, um, and, you know, one of the bigger clients that we got involved in with very early on had this, who I'd done some work with, you know, in, in a previous life, but had this very, very same issue. They're like, we want you in this project and we want you to disrupt this project we want you to throw ideas out and we want you to be crazy and do this and really let let your hair down so yeah I think it's just that that component of of trying to squeeze the very best out of every element of the project and I think you know being flexible um, being approachable um, I think you know as well minimizing layers in terms of structure and hierarchy and you know, if someone calls me to a meeting, they know I can make a decision right there and then yeah. uh, and things get solved pretty quickly. So yeah, I think it's that flexibility and approachability yeah. uh, and that, that passion and that desire to fight, you know, to deliver the best product we can. I love that. Um, has probably been, you know, the, the major thing, I would say. Yeah. And, and I love what you said there about, you know, you, you fight your fight for your component of design because, you know, you, you as a designer have got your vision. I think it's, um, you know, we, I bought it, built a house seven years ago now and i know that when we engaged our initial architects um we gave them a brief which was you know some words on paper and said this is what we like but you know i'm an engineer so i had some great words that's what i thought but trying to translate those words into a vision that we could you know imagine living in and and six years later we've got a house that we created yeah i know we went through a number of iterations of architect to actually come up with someone that, that worked with us how do you how do you do that in terms of you know when you're fighting for your component of design? Someone gives you a blank canvas and says, "Design a waterfront, design a shopping complex." How much context do you need to be able to do that? You said earlier about you know sometimes you've been designing without complex uh, context. You showed me some pictures a while back of a of a complex you were building in the desert, yeah, which is beautiful. But what's the setting and how do you create that from the start? Yeah, good good question. Um, I guess, yeah, in, in terms of uh, developing a brief, I would say the first thing really is, is we try to draw out from the clients what their, what their intent or what their key goal is here. Yeah. That, that's usually what we kind of start with. And from there, if it is a completely blank slate, um, we, I guess we like to put, put forward options. Um, okay. So we usually put forward one or two options and they'll, they'll start out very high level. I mean, we find that imagery is also a really good way of getting people's buy-in. And um, so we sometimes just take big image boards that people can, you know, can sit with the clients and just tick what they like or maybe cross what they don't like. So yeah. th- there's a few things that, you know, we try to use these visual tools a little bit more than the verbal ones. Um, yeah. You know, we also have, you know, language challenges as well to add to the mix. So the more okay. visual we can be, um, the better. And I think the other thing that we do is we, we always try to be, you know, what, what I say to the guys is we try to be positive. We, we try to go in with an idea and we try to say, rather than say, to, oh, hey, Mr. Client, like, uh, thanks for hiring us. What do you want? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a good thing, but they've hired us to tell them, yeah. not to tell them what they want, but help them realize this, you know, this, this dream or this vision. So, yeah. um, you know, we go away and we do our own kind of brainstorming and thinking. And we also do like a lot of analysis led type stuff. So okay. um, it's interesting once you start looking at site conditions and looking at site context and looking at, you know, at references of existing projects, how things start to come to mind, you know, you'll start sketching and, and then things evolve from, from sort of that point. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. You made me one of my early podcasts. Um, we, we talked about design thinking and how sometimes the customer doesn't know what they want. 
Uh, and if you go and ask them they want, they want it, it, it's the typical, you know, they don't really know the typical Sony Walkman. If someone said, do you want all your music in your pocket? They wouldn't know what it was. But yes. somebody had to create that in the first place. Uh, and David Ricketts and I had a great conversation about um, a cinema chain in South America where they were trying to look at, okay, what is it people want when they come to the cinema? Because it's not just to see the screen, it's something else. Yes. But they found that customers didn't know what it was. So they had to be really inventive about that. And I think that's a, it's a thing that a lot of business owners face when they, they don't know what they need originally or when they don't know what they initially should say because they haven't got this vision of it clear in their mind. Yeah. And I think that's one thing you're saying about, you know, having the visuals and holding those up and getting people to do things. There's a real visual, tangible aspect of that. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I shared with you the last time we spoke that we use a lot of, again, 3D models or hand sketches yeah. of, of like visual perspectives, not necessarily just technical plans or layouts, but and, and sometimes those visual perspectives, they don't even say much about the design. Um, they allow you to kind of experience a moment in time or what, a, what it would be like to be in that place, regardless of what the final design looks or what the final budget looks or what yeah. type of buildings you have. Um, it's about creating experiences. And again, yeah. I think we've also learned that if you can tie people to an experience or an emotion um, we use storytelling a lot. Like if you mm. can tie people into that story and get a buy-in to that, you can always loop your design back to that to that one thread that kind of weaves it all together. And it just, right or wrong, but I think it just helps justify what you're doing. Yeah. And, and, and there's a great uh, similarity there to the work I do with business owners about crafting their vision for the future. Mm. And you talked there about, you know, um, helping people understand what it would be like in the future. So my yeah. work as a coach is actually to help business owners say, you know, what, what do you want this vision to be? And I'm holding my hand up here to say, you know, there's a vision there, what it is. And a lot of people have it in, you know, facts and figures, you know, what revenue I want, what number, how number of people I need, how, what the officers look like. And I say, let's just imagine you're in it now. What would it, what would it feel like to be there? If, yeah. you, if you've achieved everything you wanted in your business and the dream's coming true, what's it feel like? Sit there and soak it up. Mm. And a lot of people say, oh, I struggle to do that. So I often ask them, let's just go out. Let's go out 10 years. Let's imagine you're doing it. And I use a bit of a, 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 I use a mind trick word. And I say, look, just, just imagine you're waking up 10 years from now. You're getting out of bed in the same way you do it before. You're getting up, you're cleaning your teeth. You're going to the mirror. You're seeing that person in the mirror. Yes, it's 10 years older. But let's just get you into that experience of being there and seeing it. Now imagine walking through the door of your office and imagining what you've created or imagining your business. And I, I love what you said about creating that experience because I think there's a real link there to the way we work as coaches to help people understand what does it look like? What does it feel like? What would it be yeah. like when you're in it? Yeah. Um, and it's that emotional aspect that really comes out when you're talking about it. Yeah, because I think I think that's not my that's not my that that is my driver, right? Sorry. So the 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 running of the business aspect for me in a lot of senses is is kind of a I wouldn't say an annoyance, but it's a necessary evil in some ways, right? Like running a business allows me the freedom to be creative and to create the environment that I want to create, right? Yeah. Like we've created a studio environment that, you know, we enjoy being in. Um, we only work with people that we like working with. And we tried to, you know, we've got a very simple space, but we've tried to make our space, uh, you know, feel a bit homely. We have couches, yeah. we have bean bags, we have a table tennis table. Um, you know, so we, we've tried to make it a space that yeah. is conducive to being creative. And, um, yeah, we work long hours and do all those things, but um, also it's, it's a nice place to be. Yeah, I love that. And, and, and so this is a little interesting segue in terms of your management structure, because you showed me a great picture a while back of, of yeah. the way you've structured the business. You know, a lot of business owners have their hierarchy in mind of what it is. And you said something just now, you know, you like being a designer. That's why you do what you do. Can you, can you articulate that structure to, to me now? Because I know you showed me the picture, and I think the picture tells a thousand words, but you've got something at the centre, which I think is the core of what you do, and that's design. Yeah, correct. So, yeah, I mean, our organisation chart, if you can call it that, is, is actually a set of concentric rings um, with design at the centre. Yeah. Um, it also doesn't really relate to positions in the company. It relates to tasks. Um, or, or components of design. Yeah. Um, you know, we have some people that are more client-facing, but they're designers. Uh, we have some people who are more focused on doing 3Ds, but they're designers. Yeah. Same thing for, you know, we have a lot of guys who like to do hand sketches. So, um, 
yeah, I guess we call it flat, but it is it is circular. But the, the point of that is everything is design centric. You know, I think keep it really simple. Um, yeah. Design is our product. If we focus on that, the rest kind of looks after itself yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. And again, I'm, I'm put words in your mouth here because I think you've also got a, uh, I wouldn't say unique, but you've got a very interesting view on time management for your team. Yes. And I think that, that, says, that, that says a lot about you as a team and how you do what you do. Can you articulate a bit about that as if you know, if you know what I'm coming talking about? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. You're, you're getting at the fact, we, yeah, we don't do timesheets, yeah. um, so, which is very customary for, I guess, people in our industry. So um, usually every hour that you spend of the day is tracked against a certain job. That is then tracked against the budget that you have for that job. Um, and usually if you get close or over that budget, then you, you start to get in trouble by the, you know, the powers that be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, that was, a um, of the firm that I worked in before had a very strict management of that process. So I understand the process and I, and I see the value in it. Mm. Um, but it's not something that we wanted to implement here. So, uh, yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't track costs against jobs. We don't only allocate resources to jobs based on the budget. Um, you know, we, when we're um, tendering for jobs or bidding for jobs, we, yeah. we work out a fee uh, that we think is going to be reasonable. And that's obviously negotiated as they always are. As they always are, yeah. Um, but once that fee is agreed, you know, I put that, we put that contract away um, and we just deliver what's required to deliver the yeah. job. So um, and I think that's, that's really important. It gives a bit of freedom. Um, but, you know, also for me personally, like, I never go home at the end of the day and go, oh, wow, we delivered that project and we made 10%. That, that's not what helps me sleep at night, right? I go home and go, oh, we delivered that and I was happy with the outcome. And, yeah, um, yeah I, I, don't, I don't think personally anyway, I don't really get that gratification from the commercial aspects of the, bit, of the business. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that. And I think that just you know, speaks volumes about way, the way you work and the, you know, it, it's, it's not so much a relaxed attitude, but actually it's a customer-centric attitude to make sure you yeah. do what's right for the job. Yeah, um, right. And, and bring you, you know, you want, as you said, you want to bring people's dreams alive, bring their vision to reality. And I think you put the effort in to make that happen at, a, at the price that people are willing to pay. Yeah. And, and I think that's also the pleasing thing. The pleasing thing is, you know, the business has been commercially successful. Yeah. Certainly took some time, time to get there. Um, but for me, that's been sort of like proof of concept, right? It's like if you focus on the core, if you focus on design, if you focus yeah. on delivering the best product, um, you can. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the financial side kind of takes 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 care of itself, you know. And yeah. I think I think we spoke about this last time, but you know, I, I don't know how much our salary bills are each month. I don't know how much revenue we've made this month. I couldn't tell you how much revenue we made last year. Um, I don't want to be kind of weighed down by that. Like certain times I have to be sat down and have to be spoken and uh, step through that so I can yeah. kind of guide how we're tendering things going forward. But um, yeah, it's not something that I hold too tightly onto. Yeah. And, and I'm sure there's a few accountants out there quaking in their boots as they're hearing this now thinking, how can you run a business like that? But I think you're right, actually, doing that approach because you know you deliver great projects and actually, you can walk and you can walk and see those projects and bring that to reality. And and there's a there's something in that about making it come to reality. And the business is successful as a result. And I often talk to people about uh, the balance between culture and commercial. Uh, and I say that you can drive a business to be commercial, and you know, drive your revenue, decrease your cost, you make some good profit. But actually, the best businesses I work with, the ones who you know, they have a great culture, and because yeah. of that culture, it drives revenue. But it's not at the expense of commercial. It does both together, but actually it's that cultural side that really bonds you together, um, which is going to take me into a different journey here, actually. And, and there's two questions I've got in mind. One is this word purpose, because you mentioned you're a, you're a designer. So um, have you ever considered what purpose means to you or, your, or sometimes just that word why? What, what does that mean to you? Um, it's, a, it's a good question. To be, I mean, again, to be probably brutally honest, it's probably something that I'm still trying to figure out. Mm. Um, you know, I know, I know in, in the short term, um, it, that, that purpose has kind of changed over the, you know, six, seven year journey that we've, we've been on now. I think at the start, um, it was about creating something and, and yeah. creating maybe freedom yeah, uh, and, and also creating, um, you know, a space that, you know, some of the guys who have come on this journey with me can, um, 
can be comfortable and, and can be safe and, and can be gainfully employed and paid yeah. well and, and all those things. So yeah, yeah. I think at the start, it was a lot about kind of creation. Um, and then again, I th- you know, I think we spoke about this a little bit and, and, and perhaps where, you know, you, you, you can help me perhaps in the future, but this, this kind of idea about expansion and, and, you know, I, I think, um, I don't want to say I got greedy, but, you know, maybe we started to think a little bit more about, oh, this is going pretty well. Why don't we get more people? And why don't we, yeah. and we did that. And we, we expanded, you know, kind of quite rapidly at one stage. And it just, it got to the point where, um, you know, our product, what we we're delivering was suffering. The quality was suffering mm. um, and, and it just didn't become fun anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, we, we ended up uh, we ended up downsizing, you know, reasonably significantly. I mean, we're not a huge firm, um, yeah. you know, we're twenty five people, but uh, we were we were up around this number sort of three three years ago, perhaps, um, and it just was too much, too soon, or we didn't have the structure, um, and yeah, it just didn't become fun. And then yeah, um, we we sort of uh, you know, <laughs> reduced the size. I was thinking about it a nice way of saying that. Um, and and it became fun again you know we we didn't have the pressure of how many projects we needed to run at once and we're able to be more selective and the funny thing about that being more selective meant that we could demand more from our clients um, and stand our ground on fees that we thought were reasonable and um, only take on projects that we found were interesting and so in the end the interesting commercial lesson was actually we made more money when we had half as many people what a great um, story yeah yeah the quality of projects and and the quality that we were delivering on it just kind of snowballed a bit yeah I and, and i love that there's a there's a real thing about you said talked earlier about standing your ground with the designs you produce but actually it sounds like you know you're you, you're fighting a corner but actually come back to that word you used earlier about you know um uh when you're when you're small and when it'll be small when you're big Actually, you've created something now where you can stand out. You've got a great positioning in the region. You yeah, do yeah. well in Abu Dhabi. And actually, that thing about being selective, a lot of businesses would die to have that type of positioning mm. so then you could do it and make more money than they did when they were a bigger firm. Yes. So great, yeah. great story there. Um, so, so, so purpose, I think, is a key one, isn't it? And the reason I was going down that angle, you're talking about your, your concentric designs with you know, organizational stuff, with design at the core. And you use that word focus on the core. Because I also know that you've you've developed a team away from Abu Dhabi to enable yeah. you to manage that work as well. How have you managed that tension between having a team where you are here and overseas? Because that's quite an interesting thing to try and manage. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, it is an interesting dynamic. Um, I guess something that's that's almost got easier over the last uh, year or two years in these in these COVID times, I guess we've got a little bit more used to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I guess you're, you're alluding to the fact that we have a we have a small office, um, eight people in in the Philippines, um, and that that's kind of ebbed and flowed a little bit. I think we're up to twelve or thirteen at one point, stabilized yeah. around eight. Okay. Um, and and fun. I mean, the funny rationale that that started this whole thing very early on is that the business licensing process here in Abu Dhabi um, much simpler now. Um, but back in the day, it was, it was quite a convoluted process and it took a lot of time. Um, okay. And I didn't have that time because I didn't have any money, really, yeah. or any investors or anything. So I had to get things moving. So we were basically winning projects, um, you know, me sitting in a Starbucks sketching because we didn't have an office or anything. Uh, but we were winning projects, um, you know, at that point. And um, a couple of the guys who I've mentioned who you know, came on this journey with me, guys I've been working with for you know, 10, 15 years now, uh, Filipino guys, actually. Okay. Um, and so they were like, well, you know, why don't we go to the Philippines and set up a place there? We can do it really easily. Um, we've got some contacts there and that. So literally, like, the next day, we just jumped on a plane. We flew there. Um, you know, within a week, we'd started an office and got everyone set up. Um, you know, a couple of the guys or the guys stayed there for a month or two months to get things moving. I came back here and was was winning work and delivering and doing the client facing stuff. Wow. Um, yeah. So, that, and then it just sort of grew from there. I think um, it's, it's, it's a good asset to, to have, yeah. um, uh, you know, the time difference works in our favor. We're able to kind of send stuff end of day here and it can be kind of updated and sent back 
you know, early morning. Um, also the difference in the work week. So we, we work Sunday through Thursday here and they work Monday, Friday. So we actually get a six day work week. Um, yeah, nice. Okay. Which is, which is also kind of beneficial. So um, yeah, it's been super, um, super beneficial to us, I think time-wise, but um, also business and financially it, it's, um, you know, it takes, takes some investment in time and I think you need to have the right people. Mm. Um, but, but it's been, you know, super successful for us. And, you know, I, I can't imagine Aperture without that. I mean, it was, it was kind of there at the very start. Yeah, I love that. And, and, and it's interesting, you know, I often talk to people about, you know, building the capacity of your business. But what you've done, you've extended your work week to six days. You've got a remote team with time differences as well. So you can actually, as you say, put work in the morning and get it back delivered fairly quickly as well. So does that work in your favour? Um, how did you go about finding the right people? Because you know, if to get the right people on the bus is always difficult, but actually to be able to go and do that in the Philippines, what was your what was the thing that drove you to know these are the right people to be on your bus? It's, a, it's all people that you know, and that, yeah. that's that's really what um, is is a bit crazy, really. Uh, yeah. Not all people, I, I should say, but um, yeah, the. the I mean, again, you know, if you think about our industry, it's not huge. Um, and so people who have studied here have friends uh, or people, who, you know, Filipino guys who have studied here perhaps have friends back home. Uh, and so it was really just a network. So yeah. I think it, it started with kind of one key senior person there who um, had studied with, with, with one of my colleagues um, and she was willing to join and, and come on board and then it was really just through her network of, of friends or, um, you know, colleagues or classmates from uni that, yeah. you know, the studio kind of started to build. So, um, yeah, I, I certainly can't take much credit for that, if any. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it's largely been through through friends of friends or recommendations yeah. um, is, is the way that we've found, found people. That's right. And it, and it sounds like you know, it's, it's credit to you in the sense that you, you, you've trusted your instincts. It was the right thing to do. As you said, you know, you jumped on the plane the following day and you went out and did it. It yes. makes sense because the regulatory approach in Abu Dhabi at that time was more difficult, but you could set up in the Philippines, get it working. So there's yeah. a, the, the, you know, I always say every entrepreneur has a high, high propensity for risk. Um, yeah. And actually that probably comes out in some ways that you were at that time willing to take okay, a calculated risk, but something where you, you knew it would work to some degree. And there was probably an intuitive view of you that said, this is going to work rather than being a logical view, if that makes sense. It, yeah, it, cer it certainly does. Yeah. And I think, you know, you have to compartmentalize these things. Like yeah. I, I'd look at it a, a different way. I didn't at the time see it as a risk. I saw it as the only opportunity. Yeah. So for me, there was no risk in doing that. I don't, the risk, I'd taken the risk. I'd left my previous company. I was out of work. Um, you know, I had a young baby. I had all these responsibilities. I'd, I'd made I'd, I'd, the risk had happened. Yeah. Now all I had to focus on was was making this next bit work in in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I, I love that in terms of you know focus on making it work in some way, way, shape, or form. Because I think you know most entrepreneurs they set up on day one and they've got this this excited energy to build the business, but actually it moves into a hey, we've got all this work to deal with. How do we manage that? And they have to make some form of investment in that journey to build to the next stage. Yes. And some people take years to make that investment and therefore never get off the ground. Yeah. But actually some people make it quickly. And actually, to me, that was a big investment in, in time and, and money and confidence in your business. Because at the beginning you had this view, but actually at that stage you could say, hey, this is the right thing. And you, you grew up successfully since then, which I think is a credit to you and the team. Yeah. Yes, it's been yeah. a journey, but uh... <laughs> so, so so tell me about the journey. What you know, Abu Dhabi, growing growing region. We we all see the developments in Dubai. Abu Dhabi is a very different. I would say different culture to it here in the UK, but also slightly different culture to it in Dubai as well. So how do you see that working for you as well? In terms, of you've got Dubai as a neighbour, and then Abu Dhabi. What's the what's the context for you in building the business for the next phase? Yeah, good, good question. Um, I think they are very different, uh, different Emirates in, yeah. in terms of their approach. Um, I think that, excuse me, that, um, that gap between them has probably reduced slightly, um, you know, over the last five to 10 years, perhaps. Mm. Uh, I think Abu Dhabi, you know, obviously started out, um, I mean, obviously the capital of the UAE and the home of the ruling family, but it started out being more sensitive and, and culturally sensitive, uh, a bit more reserved in the way that they, they approach things. So, mm. you know, when I moved here 16 years ago, Dubai was already 
you know, a party town and full of people and things happening. And, and Abu Dhabi was like the sleepy kind of sister. And yeah. um, I think they've taken Abu Dhabi specifically has taken a more measured approach um, okay. to development. And so they have, you know, a pretty kind of rigid development plan um, or at least the strategy that they're working with. So they, yeah. I guess they took a breath. Um, they, they had, they had oil money. They had um, this natural gas money. They didn't necessarily need to race out and, and boom tourism. Yeah. Um, so they've taken a more kind of, I guess, yeah, a step-by-step approach to development here. Okay. Uh, and I think that's that's worked in two in 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 a couple of ways. Um, it's it's allowed a more stable growth of our business, I think, because um, you know it hasn't just exploded and we've hired yeah. 100 people, but yeah. you know we've managed to incrementally kind of build build capacity as the projects came online here. Yeah. That's not to say we don't do jobs in Dubai or across the Middle East, but um, yeah, I think Abu Dhabi's had that more stable approach, and I think that's certainly helped our business yeah. uh, in the way that we've managed to to really just, yeah, kind of keep everything quite stable, if you know what I mean. It hasn't yeah. been just, you know, here, it hasn't been there. It's just, it's been, um, yeah, pretty solid growth, but, but yeah. measured in a lot of ways. I like that. And, and I think that's, you know, played into your favor in that sense of building it. But obviously you've, you've managed to drive that as well as a business owner to make this happen for the business. Um, yes. So, so wait, can you cast your mind back and you, you may not know the answers, but when you cast your mind back to, to setting up this business six or seven years ago, did you have a vision about what you wanted Aperture Design Studios or whatever you called it at that time to be? And what was that? Um, I, 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 to be honest, I think, um, I thought it was going to be like three or four people yeah. um, delivering delivering much, much smaller projects. Um, yeah. I guess I hadn't really got beyond the fact that in the short term, I really thought that perhaps we'd be um, supporting bigger international firms because, you know, I did understand the, um, the experience that, that we had being local. We yeah. could certainly leverage that with international firms and getting them understanding you know, how to deliver projects here, what the regulations are, what specific things to look out for. Um, so I really thought that that would be a big component of the business. Mm-hmm. And funnily enough, to this day, it's something we've never done. <laughs> so that was like the biggest part of my business plan that just failed because we, we never actually delivered any of those services. Um, but yeah, I, I, would, I would say we've probably exceeded, I mean, we've certainly exceeded my expectations. Um, I think... Mm-hmm. Not necessarily in terms of quality of product, but quantity, okay. Um, okay. And manageable quantity. But yeah. you know, the scale of projects, um, yeah. I think, is has been pretty exciting. And I think we've been, uh, I, I think we've worked for those opportunities. But I think we've been given opportunities um, on some pretty cool projects that yeah. um, you know it might be difficult for a lot of other firms to perhaps do. Yeah, I think that's amazing, actually. So, so, so here's the next question. In that case, that's what's you know. I always say, what got you here won't get you there. And Marshall Goldsmith quoted that in a book, so it's not my my words. But actually, if you're now to look to the future, and say, what could that look like? And and, and I often say to people, you know, think 10, 20, 30 years, and you may not want to go that far out. But what, yeah. what does the future look like if you would just imagine it? You know, we're in COVID times here, 9th of September, um, but the world's changing. It's coming. It's 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 changing and going back to some form of normality. Yes. Could you craft something and say, hey, this is where I'd like to be. If you were, if you were your client and you had a, a, a vision in mind, what does that look like? <laughs> it's a tough question because it's something I've, I've been thinking about, um, you know, quite, quite a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, uh, it's, it's interesting to start to think, you know, my kids are growing up. They're, they're not old by any, any means, but my, my eldest just started high school this year. And so, um, I guess my wife and I are starting to think, wow, like what's going to happen next? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess the, the answer is I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think from, from my side, um, I, I don't really have ideas of grandeur of growing the business much more than it already is. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of interested in diversifying and maybe offering some different services or, or getting into different areas of our business. Yeah. Um, so, and that, that's more out of, more out of interest, I would say, than, than anything else. Okay. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, I haven't, I know I haven't really answered the question, but to be honest, like personally, if anything, I would say, you know, if you say 10 years, um, yeah. you know, 
keep doing what we're doing, keeps thriving, keeps striving to do interesting projects. Um, and after that, I mean, for me, the I guess that the end game here is, is maybe to be able to kind of step back. Mm. Um, not necessarily step back from Aperture, but I don't know, maybe wind Aperture up and, and have a really small team of four or five guys that, you know, we like to work together and, and we really be selective on projects. So maybe it's yeah. not, maybe we don't have to work, you know, five days a week in an office. We can, um, yeah. you know, maybe we win this project and we work six weeks on it and we deliver it and then we have some time off. So yeah, yeah. I think, I think for me, it's a little bit about, you know, how we taper and, and, and how I get to do more of the things that I enjoy doing. Like I love designing. I love sketching. Um, that's the bits of you know this process that I really enjoy so um I think if anything that would be my goal anyway yeah and I love that isn't it because actually you know you started off when I asked you you know how do I describe you you said you're a designer and that's the core of you you see you know aperture the, the core is about design that's yeah. at the core of you that's who you are and I love that in the sense of you know actually doing more of the same is what really that's what floats your boat but actually being yeah. able to do it and remain a designer as opposed to being a I use the grand word, a CEO, but actually to be a designer at heart is what's really the thing that's at heart for you. Yeah, I have this funny discussion with people sometimes. They're always like, well, isn't the idea to grow it to a certain point and then sell it and retire or something? Like, I just can't quite wrap my head around that because, like, for me, the whole value of this company is design, right? It's the design yeah. that we put out, and that's that's not something you can sell. It's not you know it's not a computer it's not a bit of hardware yeah. we're not selling a product in that sense right it's the people it's like the people yeah. that make this product and deliver it so yeah without that people without the environment we've tried to create here i'm not sure the business is worth much at all to be honest yeah. So, yeah. um it, it's a weird kind of thing to struggle with i think yeah and, and i think it's interesting because i think a lot of people in your position or your type of business struggle with the same thing because actually that's mm -hmm. what the business is and you know, to sell a people-led business where you've got a whole load of skills that you know, in some ways those creative skills have been built from years of doing what you do yes. and, and it's that intellectual property that's in your head you know yeah, how, exactly. how do you sell that it's um yeah I, I think it's an interesting it's an interesting conundrum about where you want to be and i i love your thoughts there about you know just doing more of it it reminds me of a, a story which i've always told before about you know the, the fisherman out there you know someone watching a fisherman on holiday and the fisherman goes out and catches fish and then comes back in and sits every evening and goes out the following day and catches fish and some mba graduate goes up to him and says hey have you ever thought about you could do this and you could scale your enterprise you could buy some fishing boats and you know you could you could build it bigger and you could start a canning factory and start selling it all around the world and the fisherman comes back and say and then what i do and the guy says, well, you could then go out fishing each day and sit back in the evening and drink beer. And he says, but I do that anyway. Yeah, I go fishing every day anyway. I go fishing, yeah. And to me, that's that story. Mm. That's, um, yeah. I love that. Um, so, so a couple of questions just to, to wrap up in that case. It's been fascinating talking to you about this. Um, more time, more money or less stress? Which would you prefer? Um, I think all three. <laughs> I think I want all three. I, I want more time. Yeah. Um, I think we all we all want more money. Yeah. And there's part of part of me that thrives on stress. So I don't want that all the time, but yeah. um, you know, it is it is a bit of a motivator. So yeah. um, if I had to pick one, I'd probably say time. Um, yeah. I think I think time, you know, as a as a business owner and I think to be honest, in our industry, I think architecture is a is a um, tough industry in terms of time commitments. We end yeah. up working a lot of long hours and weekends and stuff. So yeah. Yeah, if I had to choose one, probably time. Time. Okay, I, I like that. I think that's the, the key one. And, and then if you were to go back and give the uh, the younger Luke some advice, um, sounds a bit something out of Star Wars when I was thinking then. Give, <laughs> give the younger Luke some advice. What, what would advice would you give to say, this is it? What's the, what's the thing, if you were to cast your mind back, whatever time period it was? I mean, if I think about the business journey, it's probably don't sweat the small stuff. Um, yeah. I feel like I spent like a lot of sleepless nights um worrying about stuff in those first few years and like to be honest we had a lot of what we had a lot to worry about yeah um but you need to to kind of figure out how to yeah compartmentalize some of that stuff and um yeah focus on the on the big ticket items so yeah. there's certain things because you know i'm an emotional designer type that i i can't put in a box very well um 
but maybe that's why I'm putting the, the financial stuff for me in the box is really easy. Um, yeah. That's that's something that's easy to do and forget about. But yeah, probably yeah, don't sweat. The small it's, stuff. It's awesome. I love it, and I think I think that's a great bit of advice for a lot of business owners. It's very it's very hard when you're in the moment to say that, but actually looking back in hindsight, you know those, those mountains that you thought were mountains were actually just molehills. But you and you'll find a way through it. I was just going to say, yeah, it's, it's also I quite often say, you know, um, we're playing the long game, you know. So that's also a way of justifying to myself. I think sometimes if if things are happening not the way that I would like them to, and that's upsetting me, um, you know, remember that you're going to live to fight another day, um, and you know this will pay off in the long run perhaps yeah and and i often come back to that word context you said about you know designing without context when you set up in abu dhabi that was sometimes it but now you've got a context around it and actually mm. that word context for a business is about creating that why and if you could just reflect on that and say why are we doing this and actually if that's the long game that then sets everything else in process to say this is why we're doing it so i love that hey, luke this has been really it's been a fascinating conversation um I, I know you're in abu dhabi but if people wanted to reach out to you if they needed uh, landscape design if they needed to you know recreate the public realm which they're working in how would they connect with you where would they find aperture design studio probably the best place is the website so okay. www.aperturedesignstudio.com um, okay. All the contact details are on there, along with what we're about, what we do, um, yeah, how to reach out, the type of projects we're doing, and experience we have. So that's probably the, the first point of call, Phil. I love it. Thank you. And I know on that website, when I've looked at it, you've got some some great visual pictures, as you would expect from this conversation with Luke. It's all about visual, and it's about bringing the, the, the design in your head to reality. So um, I appreciate the call, and um, I think there's a lot business owners in general could do with just that that creative aspect of bringing that design in their head to reality for their businesses as well as their projects, whatever they might look like as well. So Luke, thank you. Really appreciate the conversation. Great. Awesome. Thanks, Phil. Thank you. So that concludes this episode of Sparks. Thanks for listening. We're always looking for ideas on how to drive this podcast forward. So if you've got comments, please leave them via a review of our show, along with your rating, or send us an email to sparks at ignumconsult.com.